0: Good morning. The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16, and 3, 1-4. The word of God speaks to us. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you... You are not of the flesh, and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos," are you not being merely human? This is this is God's word to us.
1: Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Hey guys, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good uh, it's good to see you guys if we haven't met yet, my name's Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's fun being back. I took last Sunday off because my wife and I were shipping our son off to the Marines, so we got that done last week. Uh, we've missed him like crazy this week. It'll be 12 weeks without getting to talk to him on the phone uh, unless he knocks somebody out in hand-to-hand combat and then he gets a five minute phone call. So uh, if you want to pray for that, uh, I'm praying for that. You obey your conscience. I'm praying we get a lot of phone calls that he's just knocking fools out left and right so he can talk to his mom. All right, Uh, hey, so last week my buddy Kevin Colley preached and uh, today we're gonna pick up right where he left off in 1 Corinthians. If you got a Bible, you can flip over there, 1 Corinthians chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the windowsills downstairs and you can take one of those with you as a gift or you can be like my buddy that was here a few weeks ago who pocketed nine of them and ran out. I don't know what he did with them, but I'm glad he took them. All right, let's pray and we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that this would be a moment in the life of our church where apprehension about the Spirit, suspicion towards the Spirit, disbelief in the Spirit, uh, grieving the Holy Spirit would give way to delight in the work of the Spirit. God, we thank you that we wouldn't know Jesus if it wasn't for the Spirit. That we can't repent of sin without the help of the Spirit. That we can't live lives of obedience without the Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. We pray that this church would be marked by the Holy Spirit. That we would be a Spirit-filled church that loves Jesus. And God, we desire earnestly spiritual gifts, and that's part of the work of the Spirit. But at the very core of the Spirit's work, as you're going to show us today, is coming to believe, trust, obey, and follow Jesus. And we pray that that would happen today. So meet us, help us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, uh, think for a second about the time in your life where you were the most lost. And, And I actually don't mean existentially lost. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. I just mean geographically lost. Like you either didn't know how to follow your map or you got somewhere that you didn't want to go or you took directions from a stranger and they turned out to be a total train wreck. Um, I don't think I'm directionally challenged, but as I've reflected today on how many times I've been lost, I might need to rethink that. Um, I think of years ago being in Baja, Mexico with some buddies on a spearfishing trip and I was flying out of an airport that's not the airport I flew into and I got directions to the airport assuming that a small community out in the middle of the desert would only have one airstrip and so I took the directions, I followed the directions, I drove for like three hours through the desert and started to realize that this did not look like a terminal that Delta would fly out of, There were cartel checkpoints, there were burrows in the road and there was one airstrip and I was late to my actual plane at the actual airport that was actually like three hours from there. Um, I've been lost a lot of times and whether it was my internal compass or following bad directions, that's actually really relevant to what Paul is saying on an existential level to the Corinthian Christians. Paul opened up a discourse with this church about their divisions. They're teamed up, and they're really prideful. And what Paul is doing in chapters one, two, and three is not just telling them, hey guys, division's bad, stop being divided. What Paul is doing is actually laying a foundation to show the Corinthians and show you and me that the problem in their church, the reason there was rampant immorality and pride and arrogance and divisions is because the Corinthian Christians had resorted back to the faulty maps and the disordered compasses of the world. They were trying to navigate life's deepest questions, questions about relationship and identity and meaning and joy, not with the new compass of Jesus and the map of the work of Jesus, but they had gone back to the way that the world tries to navigate. And what Paul showed us in the text over the last couple of weeks is that the problem with the world in which we inhabit is that human beings by default have an internal compass that always navigates the world as if man was the center. That in the very beginning, our first parents fell into sin and death because they tried to substitute themselves for God. St. Augustine, an early North African theologian and pastor, summed it up by saying that pride is the mother of all sins. And he nails it because in our delusion, as we tried to substitute ourselves for God, since that moment, what we have done repeatedly in every culture, in every bit of this world is we've tried to navigate the world through a compass that points to self as the center And we've tried to build maps of meaning as human beings. We've tried to build systems and relationships and society on a faulty map that doesn't ever point to true north. And what God in his wisdom does is he shows up in Jesus to reorder our compass and to give us a new map. What Paul does in chapters one and two is he unpacks that there's basically three ways in which people in the city of Corinth are trying to navigate the world and they're fallen, broken maps. There's the way of the Greek. And Paul points out that Greeks seek wisdom. It's not wrong to seek wisdom and philosophy has its place, but the problem is Greek philosophy and Greek wisdom lacks the ability to arrive at God. In fact, Greeks couldn't receive the message of the cross of Jesus, it was foolishness to them because they were obsessed with ideas. And the idea that wisdom and that truth would not be an abstract idea that we could get to through pursuing virtue or through meditation, but instead that wisdom and truth would be a person, the third person or the second person of the Trinity that took on flesh was absurd to Greeks. Paul also mentions mentions the Jewish way of navigating the world. And and the Jewish map at the day of Jesus was a map built on man-centered religion and morality. Paul says that Jews seek signs. And that's actually a really dark statement. Here's what Paul is saying, that through man-centered religion, through rituals, and through morality, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day actually believed that they could put God in their debt that God would perform for them, that God was beholden to them because they were such good people. And for Jews, they missed the cross. Many of them missed the cross, especially the leaders, because to them, the cross was nothing but a curse. They couldn't come to the wisdom of God. And then Paul sort of hints at a third way of navigating the world, and that's the Roman way. It's the Roman way. Romans navigated the world through wealth and power and politics, And the Roman way of navigating the world missed the cross because the cross to them was nothing more than just complete and total failure. How could humiliation and execution lead to a new creation? And what Paul does with painstaking care in these particular verses is Paul unpacks for the Corinthians that those ways of navigating the world the worldly wisdom all around us, the worldly internal compass that always points to self as the center of the universe. And the worldly maps that we build to try to navigate the biggest questions in life always lead us away from the wisdom of God. In fact, the very best that human wisdom can accomplish, God describes as foolish. And so God does something amazing he does something wild he demonstrates his wisdom in what the world thinks is foolish the cross of jesus and in the humility of god in the humility of god jesus christ is born of a virgin he lives a sinless life he bears the sin of humanity he's cut off from the father he drinks the wrath that we deserve and in jesus being lowered and humiliated here's what we find god points to true wisdom And he reorders the internal compass of anybody that would follow him to point not to self as ultimate, not to self as God, not to self as sovereign, but to point away from self to Jesus as the center, He reorders the map. He redoes the cartography of our hearts in such a way that the true north of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead becomes the framework that Paul wants the Corinthians to use as they navigate marriage and singleness and food and drink and money and failure and all of the longings inside their chest. And what Paul is doing in our text today, which is really critical, Paul is pointing out that the way that you enter into a relationship with the living God, the way that we believe the gospel and the way that we're reconciled to God, the way that we line up with God's wisdom instead of the wisdom of the world is congruent with the content of the gospel. Now, here's what I mean by that. What Paul's going to say in our text today is that the gospel is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. And therefore, you can't believe the gospel, receive the gospel, and obey the gospel according to human strength, human wisdom, or human intellect. The gospel, the gospel is foolishness to the world. It's the wisdom of God. And you don't step into believing and reordering your life according to the gospel just because you're a good moral person or because you're smarter than somebody else, or because you have amazing philosophical acumen. The way we step into the gospel and receive the gospel is through the work of the Spirit. It's not a prize for people that get it right. It's a gift for people that receive it. And what Paul wants for the Corinthians as he's about to revisit their divisions is for them to point out the places in their lives, for them to own the places in their lives where they've turned from the gospel as the map and compass of their life, the wisdom of God through which they navigate the world. And they've gone back to worldly wisdom and worldly boasting. Paul wants to remind them that what the Holy Spirit taught them, what the Holy Spirit gave them, is not a way of pride in which we navigate the world as if we're God, but it's a way of humility in which Jesus silences our boasting and he gives us something better than anything that we thought we could claim or deserve. So take your Bible, we're gonna look at this together, starting in chapter two, verse 10. I wanna show you some things about the Holy Spirit in this text. The way you step into the wisdom of God is not through anything that you can claim. It's through the goodness of God in the Holy Spirit. So number one, Paul points out that without the Spirit, we can't know God. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Okay, this is really powerful. Um, me and my wife have been married for almost 25 years. And to my shame, I'm often the guy that struggles to communicate what's going on inside my head. And there'll be regular dates where my wife will say, hey, what are you thinking? what are you thinking? And she knows me better than anybody else. If there's anybody alive that could just assume what I'm thinking and guess at what I'm thinking, it would be Nancy. But often because of my lack of communication, she has to ask me questions like, hey, where are you at to try to connect with me? She doesn't know what's happening between my ears or inside my rib cage unless I open my mouth and I tell her. And what's wild about that is that I'm just a finite human being. I'm not the brightest, I'm not the most talented. I'm a regular guy. How much more so, how much more so are we left in the dark to the thoughts of God unless God discloses it? We are dependent upon God to disclose God. Listen, this is the realm of revelation. What Paul is saying that's really powerful is that you can be really brilliant. You can be incredibly educated, but no matter how brilliant and educated you are, no matter how good you are at solving problems or wrestling with philosophy, the ways of God are infinitely higher than our waves. We're not going to know God, love God, see God, and believe God unless God takes it upon himself to disclose to us the thoughts of God. And then Paul takes one step further because it's not just an intellectual problem. It's not just that God's ways are higher and we're just human beings. It's also that we're sinful. Look at verse 14. The natural person, this is shorthand for fallen humanity. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand him because they are spiritually discerned. So listen, the ways of God are higher than our ways and the thoughts of God are deeper than our thoughts but also even if, even if we could somehow achieve through reason and science and meditation a place of seeing God rightly we also have hearts that are dead to God. That in our sins we can't believe him, we can't love him. We constantly will navigate the world as if we're God. And so Listen, what Paul is saying is actually a really powerful invitation because part of, hey guys, Sheree, guys, glad you're here, but don't distract people. Okay, thank you. What Paul is saying is actually a really powerful gift that he's inviting us into. It's the gift of getting out of the center because here's, here's what God is doing in the gospel. We couldn't get to God, so what does God do? He comes to us in his Son and we couldn't receive the gospel. We couldn't believe it and love it. It was foolishness to us. The message of a dead and raised Savior, it's crazy. And so what does God do? He sends the Spirit to us to give us revelation so that our hearts can come alive to God. It's the Spirit of God that helps us to know God. Now, this leads to the second question. How does that happen? Is that just a weird experience? Like, you're just out doing your daily business, meditating on whatever, reading sports scores from the weekend, and all of a sudden it just dawns on you? No, no, look what happens. This leads us to the second thing. The Spirit of God empowers the preaching and the hearing of the gospel. How do people hear the Spirit of God disclosing his thoughts to us? It's through teaching Jesus. Look at verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those that are spiritual. How do, we, how do we have an encounter with the truth of God in Jesus? How do we see that the cross of Jesus is the wisdom of God and the goodness of God? How do we come into a life-changing relationship that moves us out of having Self as our compass to Christ as the compass. But listen, the spirit of God imparts that truth through the message of Jesus. He anoints the teaching of the gospel and the hearing of the gospel. And I want you to get this because this is really good news for you and me. We're a church that wants to push, push back darkness in our city. And obviously, part of pushing back darkness is we want to do good deeds. We want to love our neighbors. We want to care for the poor. We want to fight for people that are hurting. We want to feed the hungry. All that matters to the heart of God. Amen? Okay, but listen, the most profound darkness in the city that we want to push back is the darkness of people that are alienated to the living God. We were made for God. And no matter what map you're trying to navigate life from, a map that says that success is the answer or that pleasure is the answer or that family is the answer, all of those maps are gonna lead you to a place of not experiencing the depth of what you were made for because you were made for God. And our heart as a church is not just to help clothe people and feed people. That's good and that's important. But our deepest heart as a church is that people would be reconciled to the living God through the work of Jesus. And what's beautiful about this text today is that the power is not found in how eloquent you are at convincing people or debating people. The power is found in the message of the gospel and the work of the spirit. If you can debate somebody into being a Christian, if that's all it takes, then somebody smarter than you can debate someone away from being a Christian. And what we find is that in this text is the essence of our boldness and confidence to open our mouths and tell our friends about Jesus because it's the spirit of God that anoints the message and the hearing of the message to do something eternal and powerful in people's lives. It's not up to you and me. Now, don't get me wrong, like apologetics have their place and asking people good questions, that's important. Helping people think through their philosophy of life, that has its place. But at the end of the day, no one has ever become a Christian because they were talked into it. People become Christians because the message of the gospel is empowered by the spirit to penetrate hearts and to give people faith to believe in Jesus. And this means this means that the heavy lifting is not yours to do. <laughs> you can be confident to tell people about Christ. You can be confident to share the good news of Jesus, knowing that it's not your ability to get all the details right with human eloquence, but it's the Spirit of God that takes the bare message of the cross and resurrection and uses it to do surgery on a dead human heart. So we can't know God without the Spirit. The Spirit reveals The power of Jesus through the gospel. And then thirdly, listen, what is it that the Spirit highlights? And I love this. The Spirit reveals the grace of God. What does the Holy Spirit want to talk about? Grace. Look at verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love him. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Look at verse 12, because this is the crux of the entire argument. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's the grace of God in Jesus. I love this. Here's what Paul is saying. The message of Jesus is simultaneously milk for babies, and it's meat for the mature. The message of Jesus, what God has done through the cross and resurrection is the deepest message of the Christian life. You don't graduate from the gospel to the deeper, more esoteric stuff that's really important. The gospel is the doorway into the Christian life, but it's also the house that we live in. And what Paul is saying that's so amazing is that the spirit of God is pointing to the work of Jesus to reveal to us simultaneously who God is and who we are. And in that one-two punch of this is God and this is you, we're invited to be humbled and we're invited to be lifted. So listen, you know what the most powerful, most powerful, deep, amazing, life-changing thing that you could possibly think about is? The cross and resurrection of Jesus. And the Corinthian Christians, they're kind of over talking about Jesus. They're tired of Paul preaching Jesus and writing about Jesus and they're enamored with teachers that wanna sort of pretend that they found something deeper and more mysterious than the cross and resurrection. And what Paul is saying in this text is, listen, you never graduate beyond the wonders of God's grace in Jesus because in those wonders, here's what you see. You see the sovereignty of God that God is orchestrating all of history to the fullness of time. And even though the Jewish leaders and Pilate have culpability in killing Jesus, God was orchestrating all things in his sovereignty to that moment to save us. You wanna see the righteousness of God? His holiness, that he's other, that he is apart from sin, that he's not bent, that he's not crooked. Look at the gospel. Do you wanna see the mercy of God? that God could have given us what we deserve, but instead he took what we deserve on the cross? You look at the gospel. Do you want to see the generosity of God or the presence of God or the power of God? Look at the gospel. What Paul is saying is that as we look at the gospel, the spirit of God unpacks the depths of God, the thoughts of God, what's for God's people in the heart of God. You find all that through spirit-filled meditation and teaching on Jesus. It doesn't get deeper, it doesn't get better, it doesn't get more important. That's the beginning, that's the middle, and that's the end. And as we look at the gospel of Jesus, we not only see God, but here's what's crazy we get to see ourselves. And uh, we, we get to see ourselves not as we want to be and pretend to be, but we get to see ourselves as we actually are, which is both humbling, but also exhilarating. Because here's what we find in the gospel um, a New Year's rev- resolution is insufficient for how jacked up we are what you see in the gospel is that your best efforts to achieve to attain to turn over new leaves to clean yourself up or to compare yourself to anybody else like we all do the comparison game like as long as i'm doing better than hitler i'm doing okay and and what god does in the gospel is he takes away all those tricks and gimmicks and he holds up to a mirror to us and here's what he says this is how profoundly sinful and broken you are that the only way to rescue you was for my son to die in your place. This is how far gone you were. This is how powerful the grip of sin and death were. This is how, this is how much the kingdom of darkness laid claim to you. That the only way for you to be rescued and redeemed was for me to ransom you with the blood of my son. That's how far off you were. And yet, it doesn't leave us morose and morbid and bummed out and depressed. The gospel also lifts us because in the gospel of Jesus, here's what you find. The heart of a father who calls you his. You find the wonder of adoption. You find the scandal of justification. You find that you have access, that you have a future and a hope. Here's what you find as you look at the gospel, that there's nothing not angels, not demons, not rulers, not powers, not even death that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul wants. He's telling the Corinthians, guys, you think that by going back to the compass of the world and the maps of the world that you can get deeper, that you can be wiser, but what you're actually doing is negating the fact that all of those were dead ends in the first place, and true wisdom, true wisdom is found in the cross of Jesus that the world thinks is foolish, and if you want to really go deep, build your life around Christ as the compass of your life. Navigate your life around Christ as the map that shows you true north for your life. And this leads to the last thing. And this is, this is directly related to the Corinthians' obsession with thinking that they're spiritual and really acting like carnal babies. The last thing, Paul wants us to see that it's the spirit of God that makes people spiritual. It's not unique not unique ecstatic experiences, it's not finding esoteric philosophical answers, it's not some vague deeper truth that's out there in the world. The Spirit of God is what makes people spiritual. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now look at verse 15. This has been a verse that's been incredibly abused by people in the church for a long time, The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, Here's what's happening. It's wild. The Corinthians are divided over all kinds of things. They're debating who are the truly spiritual Christians in the church. Some of them are like, hey, the truly spiritual Christians are the ones that that, uh, don't have sex in the covenant of marriage that are strict on their bodies. Others are like, no, the truly spiritual Christians, those are the ones that speak in tongues. And other people are like, no, the truly spiritual Christians are the ones that are on this teacher's team. We love his teaching, we're on his team, we're really mature. And the Corinthians are just multiplying divisions over all kinds of dumb things. They're dividing over all sorts of stuff and they're saying, look, like this camp over here or this camp over here, they have claimed to be the true spiritual ones. And Paul in this text says this, guys, that is absurd. The divisions don't exist within the church. Jesus has purchased through his blood your unity. The divisions are always and permanently not inside the church. The division is between the church and the world. The division is between natural man that hasn't trusted in Jesus and new creation man that's trusted in Jesus. And what Paul is saying that's really amazing is not, hey, truly spiritual people don't need to receive criticism or feedback or correction or rebuke. Uh, You're not judged by anyone because a lot of Christians have claimed that and, and usually the Christians that need the most correction, rebuke, and adjustment. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. If you navigate the world, if you navigate the world according to the mind of Christ, The wisdom of God in the gospel. Jesus' humiliation and exaltation. The love of God demonstrated there. The justice of God demonstrated there. Here's what you'll find. You'll be able to evaluate all the ways in which the world claims to be wise but is foolish and you'll you'll be able to stand distinct and apart from things that are dead ends, maps that lead nowhere. Him wanting them to be able to judge all things is connected to navigating the world with Jesus as the center. And so Paul is holding up to the Corinthians what it looks like to really be spirit-filled. What does it look like to be really spirit-filled? To be really spirit-filled is first to be in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. To have your identity changed in Jesus, to put all of your hope in Jesus, to not try to achieve or create or curate your identity, but let your identity be a gift that's accomplished to the finished work of Jesus, to be in him, to be under Jesus, not to resort back to the old compass that tells you that self is God, but to keep coming back through faith and repentance to Jesus having authority over your life, submitting to his word, to navigate life with Jesus, Jesus is not an absentee landlord. It's not like, hey, good luck. I died for you, rose from the dead. I'm on a cosmic vacation until the second coming. Through the sending of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus is with the church to get to learn his voice and learn his ways. To be truly spirit-filled is to live life for Jesus. Within the church, to use spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God distributes to build each other up. And in the world, to follow Jesus on mission, to preach the good news of the gospel and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And and all of those things, when they're taken over a lifetime, being in Christ and under Christ and with Christ and for Christ, result in a person that slowly over time starts to look like Christ, to grow in Christ-likeness, to reflect Jesus more. Not perfectly on this side of eternity, but to more and more look like Jesus in what we value, what we believe, what we love, and what we do. And this is the final word in this section from Paul to the Corinthians because they're not acting acting like spiritual people. Paul calls them brothers, they're Christians, but they're not living according to the new map and compass. They're playing games with the wisdom of the world. And so he rebukes them in chapter three, verse one. We'll, We'll close with this. But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. A church obsessed with maturity that's claiming that Paul is immature and that they're really mature and spiritual would have taken this letter like a poke in the eye. This is deeply troubling and offensive to the Corinthians. Verse two, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Here's what Paul's saying. Guys, you have been given the mind of Christ through the work of the Spirit, to know what God has freely given you in the gospel, to have your identity changed, to have the compass of your life reordered for Christ to be the center for the glory of God to be true north, don't go back to silly worldly ways of navigating through man-centered wisdom. Don't go back to that. It doesn't result in maturity or a deeper life. It results in Christians that act like babies as unspiritual Christians. And he's not building categories of Christians because he's already said that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But he's saying you're acting like babies. (laughs) So as we close today, here's here's what I want to say. We want to be so badly a church that grows in navigating the complexities of life and life is complex. How do you hold your singleness? How do you navigate the challenges and frictions within your marriage? How do you parent? How do you handle your job and your money and your body? How do you engage a world that's often hostile and doesn't understand you? How do you you cultivate a life of peace in the midst of chaos so that you can be steady and trusting in the goodness of God? These are things that matter so much to daily life, to real life. And what Paul is writing is that the way that we do that, the way that we grow, is by coming back again and again and again to the foundation of the gospel with the power of the Spirit to reveal to us the wisdom of God that this is true north and this is the center. Christ crucified, Christ raised from the dead. You're not gonna get more mature or deeper or more wise by chasing other things. You're gonna grow in depth as you sit in the goodness of the finished work of Jesus and let that reshape how you live. Take, your, take a second and pray with me. <clears throat> Father, I pray that... Uh, wherever there's places in our hearts that feel the pull of worldly wisdom. To go back to division, to go back to man-centered control. I just pray that today would be a day where the mind of Christ would, would reign in our lives, that you would help us to live our lives in you and under you and with you and for you. And that you would create in us the kind of lives that look more like you. And Lord, I know that in this room there's like a thousand different room, thousand different places where we need you to apply that. Husbands in the room that feel entitled and frustrated at their wives need the mind of Christ to lay down their lives. And parent, parents in the room that are tempted to be anxious about the future of their kids. We need the mind of Christ to trust our kids into your hands. Single people in the room need the mind of Christ to glorify God in their singleness. We pray even as we talk about groups and group connect, we pray that our groups would be marked by people that are helping one another to navigate the world with the new compass of Jesus and new maps of meaning and significance found in Jesus. So help us today, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom. Lead us forward in Jesus' name. Amen.